uh, in the Midlands. Where are you? Uh, West Sussex, so southeast. Oh, we were there for like the first lockdown from like March till August. We're in um, Haywards Heath. Okay, yeah. yeah. Uh, and we, we actually would have liked to have stayed there. We would have been happy to stay there, but um, Dylan got a job in um, the Midlands, so we had to come up here. But it, is, it was beautiful down there. And where we were was amazing because we were right near some woods and we had a massive garden with heaps of wildlife and and we knew people. That was nice. Um, You've managed to sort of connect with people even though, you know, that's a bit tricky at the moment, isn't it? It's not straightforward. It, it is, yeah, it's not straightforward. But, like, I, I will meet people anywhere in a desert. I'll meet people in a desert. So... Yeah, like it's fine. I've got people in the, We've got a really small village. It's got like four streets and I've managed oh, wow. to. Wow. Um, yeah. And uh, like we met someone in the playground. Like we were about, I don't know, seven miles away from our village yesterday. We went for a walk in another park and um, one of my kids met up, made a little friend and we're going to, we're meeting them on Thursday in the playground. Yeah. So yeah, like it's possible. You just have to be open to it, I find, and not afraid to actually stick your neck out a bit. Um, be really intentional about it. Like if you want to be friends with someone, just like be really like, yeah. oh, look yeah. And people are really um, like really open to it, I find. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree. I mean, we've sort of got a pretty set social group now, but like in the beginning it was like, being really intentional when your kids make those connections kind of go in with it like let's you know let's meet yeah. again let's do this yeah, again yeah yeah. Sort of, yeah I mean I was that. like that in Australia too I've always got room for more friends <laughs> have you not always lived there have you moved have you um uh, well we didn't move very far <laughs> so we used to live um in West Sussex and now we live in West Sussex so but <laughs> <laughs> but a different a different village or a different town yeah. yeah it's a different village we used to live in a town and um I'm a bit of a country girl at heart really um so I was always sort of itching to get out of the town um and yeah circumstances changed so we were able to do that and um yeah we were able to get somewhere that suited us better as a family um you know we are in a village we've got well, we've probably got more than three roads because they've got a new housing estate now. So that's, you know, it's all of it. Yeah. But really, um, it's really quite small. It only it only opened a village shop in May. <laughs> um, it doesn't have a school, which suited us fine. The estate agents were very concerned because I've got four children. They were very concerned when they kept showing us around this house. You do know there's not a school here, don't you? And yeah. I was like, yeah, 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 it's fine. It's people, I, don't, yeah, I, don't need, I don't need one. Thank you. <laughs> we've got a school, ironically, but no shop. <laughs> Ah. <laughs> but in Ooh. summer the good thing is that the school kids all go to the playground across the road when school's out so mm -hmm. actually like yeah. it was quite good in in summer because there was always people in the playground um we didn't like make any real friendships or anything but there would be people there just to kick about with which was quite good um that's the benefit I guess of having a school even though we don't use it but we yeah do. I mean there were kids everywhere I don't know what the estate yeah. agent is worried about you know there's there's um, a family across the road from us and at the moment you know the kids play out in the road scoot up and down yeah. and stuff yeah together and, and you're never very far from another village are you in the UK like you wouldn't, no, wouldn't not really more than like a couple of miles to find no. another yeah 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 so yes yeah, so we didn't really move very um very far but we did we did move yeah <laughs> so yeah so we're going to talk tonight about ditching the rules and sure, I see yeah that. no we are we are um <laughs> I'm really excited, actually, because I just think it's going to be really fun. I mean, I don't know about your journey, but I was thinking back on, like, where we used to be and what, you know, how we made the changes and what happened when we made changes. And I was thinking of all the things that these rules that I was stuck in yeah. that I didn't even question. And yeah. I was thinking about them all and I just thought, oh, my days, how ridiculous. <laughs> How ridiculous like we only ever used to have pancakes on pancake day <laughs> <laughs> that's really funny because pan the pancake thing that's one that I I use that a lot oh, do you? and I think that's yeah because people I didn't realize that people were so extreme as to only have it once a year but 
it used to be like a weekend thing. You only have it. We have it on Saturdays. Yeah. Whereas actually you can, you're allowed to have them any day. Yeah. Even if I did go to school a few years ago, I would still make pancakes in the week. Okay. If we had time, I'd still make them. Not crepes. That's just crazy. No one would make crepes during the week. It takes about four hours. But like on the week, during the week, I'll make quick quick pancakes. I mean, now we can because we don't go anywhere. We can That's interesting. So are we going to have some... Are we going to have to differentiate between crepes and pancakes? Yeah, like, it's an important yeah. distinction in our family because my kids right. prefer crepes. So crepes for you is? Thin, would... you know, very thin. Um, yeah, yeah, I, I call that a pancake. Yeah, when I was growing up, that's what we always had. So my dad is English and so we grew up quite English even though we were in Australia. So all of my food references are English and my dad always called pancake like crepes pancakes and it wasn't until I was a bit older and other people were having these fat pancakes which I, I always thought were like American like that's, hot cake. yeah that's yeah. what we call them either that or American pancakes yeah American yeah we never had them at home ever sometimes someone would make pikelets which are like a small pancake that doesn't really rise but my mum and dad never made them they were like a very common they're like a common <laughs> I don't know who they thought they were. They're not the queen. <laughs> but, like, you'd get them at, like, maybe a kid's party with some or, like, a, at, I don't know, school or something. We'd slapped with some, like, horrible margarine and jam, cheap jam on them or something. So we never had those either. But now, so if we say to the kids, oh, we're going to have pancakes, they will say crepes, crepes or thick pancakes. We'll have to let yeah. them know because they, they will prefer, always prefer crepes. Yeah. Okay. They do take a really long time to make. My husband literally makes half a day's work out of it. Does my head in. See, we end up, what we end up doing with pancakes is I make like a big bowl of batter for the pancakes. And then, you know, we'd, I'll do a couple for one child when they get up and then the next child to get up. But this bowl of pancake batter will, will do like the whole day. Like every time. Yeah, so I'm, you can I'm just hungry. Kind of keep can going. Can we have another? Yeah, yeah. Okay, another yeah. You know, yeah. and that'll, that'll, that'll do us. A whole yeah. day but it's that's a really interesting um just talking about cultural differences because I was thinking about this whole idea of ditching the rules and of course our rules are so often culturally we're not defined. wasting like we're not wasting conversation fodder here are we <laughs> oh I'll probably just edit this in oh that's clever yeah okay, I know cool. I know yeah um yeah I'll just yeah, edit right. it in. uh so like the whole cultural thing is our rules are so often defined by our culture so when yeah. one you know so it's so when you talk about dismantling all that or, or even for those of us you know obviously like yourself who have obviously lived in another country or those of us that have maybe studied other cultures or traveled to other places um you you kind of have this underlying notion that other people do do things differently and like that's it's okay and maybe, yeah. I, maybe I could do things differently. Yeah, it is. It is okay. But then there is also, um, you know, when when um, where there's this idea of when people come into our country that they adopt our customs, and people feel very uncomfortable about yeah, other okay. people coming and continuing to practice their culture. So, like, there is a lot of stuff that goes on. I think in people's minds around the way things should be and i i do think uh, some of that that particular thing is that feeling of you know a threat to their cultural practices and some of those cultural practices are wrapped up in rules but some of them when they have like ancient origins are much more values driven yeah so you're sort of referring really to that sort of the um the notion of like cultural appropriation so or like or like so so in Australia uh, and it's probably the same here but I don't I haven't lived here my whole life to know but in Australia um, particularly in relation to Islam because there's been a lot of fear about Islam right in Western countries um, the, the idea of people being quite outraged about people coming into Australia and continuing to practice their culture and and this idea that as soon as someone comes into your country that they should just adopt all of your norms and practices and and somehow abandon what they already knew and I don't know whether that is, I, I don't have that feeling myself and so it's a little bit hard to relate to but I guess it's that fear uh, that somebody else is 
um, or that your culture is under threat or under attack. Like it's fear-based and it's very similar to what parents think when we suggest or make comments about ditching the rules because this is very triggering for people. People people get quite head up about it. Like how dare how dare you? It will ne- like like really quite you know. And I think it's a similar it's similar to that feeling that people have when someone comes into their country with some different norms. Um, that feeling that it's going to undermine everything, like the fabric of society. And I think that's how people feel about questioning rules and probably why when children question rules as they do it invokes such a response in people yeah see interestingly because I was thinking of it the other way around cultural appropriation as in um if I um travel to another country and then I start to adopt the culture of the other the, uh, the culture that I'm in the country that I'm in yeah yeah um but that being inappropriate because it's not my culture it's their culture so like almost the opposite of what you were saying actually you know yeah yeah. so when um so when people start to wear clothes that belong to that particular um community and um and it's and it's seen as like disrespectful because because that's not your culture and you're that's why it's called cultural appropriation you're appropriating someone else's culture onto onto you so it's almost like the opposite of of what um of what you were saying actually yeah which is is interesting yeah it's opposite but related actually I think because the the appropriation stuff is an issue when a I mean it's particularly an issue when based on a dynamic between different cultures so one culture that has perhaps been um like undermined or a culture where there's colonizations taken place or there's been a threat to that culture over over time and so rightly that cultural group really fiercely want to protect their cultural practices and traditions because that's how they maintain their culture and their connection to wherever they're from and most often it is white westerners um wanting to take parts of that culture that appeal to them on some level without invitation. I mean, to me, that's where appropriation happens. It's where it comes, where it's without invitation. Like if you're invited into a culture in, to share somebody else's practice open-heartedly, I think that's different to when you take it without invitation. And interestingly, the same groups who are more guilty of appropriation are also the ones that want to staunchly protect their own culture. So it's, I mean, it's all fear-based, I guess, isn't it? I love how these things are all linked really because they are all linked, yeah. what we're talking about really is one culture oppressing another culture yeah and then what we're talking about with our children when we're yeah. talking about rules is about us yes. imposing yeah. rules on our children and yes. in doing so we are controlling our children we're trying to control their behavior we're trying to control um you know even what they're thinking we're trying to control their morals and in and in that way not giving them the freedoms we are oppressing our children that's a very big thought for some people that yeah that they would be guilty of childism yeah 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 Uh, Um, yeah yeah because I think you know all parents want to do a good job all parents mm. really love their children all parents want what's best um and so the suggestion that what they're doing might not be in the best interest of the child is quite, that's quite a hard thing to get your head around. And, um, you know, lots of people, I guess, take it personally because they might feel that that someone is saying that they're not doing a good job as a parent um, because there's maybe a different way to think about it. So I, I, I understand why people have strong, yeah, strong reactions to it for sure. Okay, I'm just going to interrupt because I wanted to tell you that there is also an episode of Unschooling Conversations where I speak to Adele Jarrett Kerr and we talk about um, anti-racism work in unschooling families. So unschooling as a powerful tool for decolonisation work and decolonising our own parenting, trusting our children and nurturing our relationships and you can find that 
in the back episodes on Anchor and also on YouTube. So that's episode number six where we have a conversation uh, with Adele Jarrett Kerr on all things to do with anti-racism and decolonising work in unschooling. And now back to Ditching the Rules with me and Sarah. Uh, Welcome to Unschooling Conversations. Uh, Today I'm joined by Sarah Beale from Partnership Parenting. Is that right, Sarah? Yeah, the Partnership Parenting Movement. Lovely. Uh, In this episode, we are going to discuss the radical notion of Ditching the Rules. Um, I'm Heidi Steele. Uh, former teacher and unschooling parent to four school-aged children who are happy living and learning as they go. I've been unschooling for almost 10 years and uh, blog regularly and organise coaching and mentoring services on unschooling, which you can find more about at liveplaylearn.org. I'm also inviting people to get involved with the podcast, um, ask us um, questions, which you can do um, in various ways on the different uh, platforms that the podcast is on, so by audio or um, commenting. Um, And then we can hopefully address those in future episodes. Uh, So hi, Sarah, welcome to the podcast today. Would you like to introduce yourself? Yeah, thanks, Heidi. So I'm also a mum to four school-aged children. And uh, we have been unschooling, not for as long as you, my kids might be a bit younger, maybe, maybe about three years. Um, And in Australia, actually, my youngest would have only just started school this year, I think. We've been out of Australia for about a year and a half. Uh, And that that was just a natural evolution of our unschooling life, really. Uh, I am a parent coach and mentor, and I work with parents who want to live outside of the school system and also parents who want to be in partnership with their kids, particularly. And I am, what else do I do? I do blog as well. And I've just written in two books. My introduction's getting long, isn't it? One of them is called Intuitive, Knowing Her Truth. And the other one's called Dreamers and Changemakers. And and both of them are very much about where my kids have um, taken me. So it's kind of been like a journey of spiritual healing, I think. Living living a life of no rules with four kids. Takes you places (laughs) you never imagined you'd go, right, Heidi? Yeah, Absolutely. (laughs) absolutely not not physical places although obviously you and I have well I mean you're talking about earlier about village you know (laughs) we have physically moved but um yeah growth journeys so we're really here to talk about this radical notion of um ditching the rules in our parenting and I call it radical because mainstream parenting is sort of has this is adamant really that um constructing rules about how children should be and how they should live and how they should behave and then parents being consistent with these rules is actually paramount to sort of parenting success this is what makes you a good parent Um, so this notion that we live a life without clinging to these rules um, is rather radical and can um, really trigger people um, and be um, a little bit frightening and as you just mentioned really it's our children that um, have shown us the way have really helped us to um, maybe change our, our own ideas about what we thought parenting would be and how we would be as parents um, so is there any point in your parenting journey when you realize that enforcing the rules as a parent was not the route that you were going to continue on I think it might have been when they were born (laughs) and uh, none of them were rule followers Uh, so I'm lucky in that actually I've really had no choice actually so I've almost cheated because there was really no other way for me to be able to get on with my children um, because they are not children who follow rules or don't question stuff or do what someone else thinks that they should do. And they never have been. I'm not quite sure how that's happened. There's that question always of like, 
is it because of me or am I the way I am because of them? Who knows? I knew before my first child was born, and my husband and I had spoken about this actually, we knew nothing about being a parent really, only what we'd seen other people do. But I remember as a child being told no to stuff, asking why, being told because I said so, or, you know, and, and similar, and always knowing before even having children that I was never going to do that, that I was always going to be open to conversation because that really stung as a child, feeling like, I didn't have a voice and I didn't have an option and my opinion wasn't worth listening to, that somebody else ultimately had this power over me. It's a really, it's a really pow- it's a powerless feeling as a child. It really reinforces that you've got nothing, actually. You're completely at the whim of another person. Uh, and I often couldn't, uh, and I say this with no disrespect to my parents because, you know, they, they did the best that they could as well as we all do. Um, but um, be, being at the whim of another person human being is quite scary I think and I remember that feeling and I didn't want to do that to another person so I mean of course you always go deeper don't you and no matter how old your children are you or you just keep going deeper and deeper and deeper and every every week there's something else that you let go of still but we were never big on rules but I think it took me a long time to be okay with that myself like it was hard work and I was definitely in conflict with my kids a lot or and with myself actually more than anyone about at what point at what point do we need a rule at what point should I step in at what point should I say don't draw on the wall at what point should I say okay we've had enough Nutella now (laughs) like uh, you know and there's no right or wrong answer but like um and and it's it depends on what's going on in the family and and the age of the child as to where they push those things because you know, a one-year-old, well, I mean, the worst thing they do is maybe just drop their bowl of food on the floor when they finished or whatever. And, you know, there's no, um, there's no like willful um, kind of disobedience or they're not doing that to annoy you or, you know, and, and they were always pretty easy for me to kind of um, work through, but it's when they really start questioning you and asking you to explain yourself and, uh, you know, all the whys. Why does it have to be like that? Like, why do we have to eat vegetables? Why do I have to brush my teeth? Like, it's all of that stuff that I guess really seriously led us down this road of feeling like we actually needed to have some intention behind it. Yeah, so that kind of idea of um, if I'm not doing this, what yeah. what am I doing? Yeah. You know, if I'm, if we're, and if we've come to a position, which is usually because our children have, have led us there you know so similar to you um it was my children that you know I chose to listen to them I chose to listen to them when they said no to me or you know even when they were really really tiny that idea of putting babies into sort of a you know strict routine you know but my 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 child wasn't happy with it they were they wanted to cuddle or they wanted to feed at times when it wasn't in the schedule um so just being responsive to our children um and then it really for me and who's kind of on this same sort of journey it started with like attachment parenting and this was mm-hmm. like that that makes sense and that's easy because you're like right well we have to breastfeed and sleep together and cuddle them all the, like there you know there are some like you know it can be a big bit dogmatic as well but then when they when you've progressed past that basic stuff just like keeping them alive and nourishing them in that very instinctive way then they start pushing and then that's when a lot of people get quite lost because it's like, oh, now my toddler that I could always sort of pacify or comfort with a feed or a cuddle, now they're actually being like willful or they're pushing limits or they're... When ch- children begin to question stuff to when even with their actions, they get a bit more active um, and it's changing our mindset so that we start to realize that our children aren't being willfully sort of disobedient to some you know to rules or standards that we have in our house or as parents but that they are um frequently just behaving in developmentally appropriate ways and for us to respond to that maybe without the sort of punishment element 
um, but to accept that this is a normal part of child development. Um, so you gave the you gave the example of children drawing on the walls. I mean, my my eldest two, when they were at that sort of typical age where that happens, they just that wasn't their thing. That wasn't they weren't interested in particularly drawing. I don't think it wasn't their thing. But my when my when I had my third, she drew everywhere, absolutely everywhere. It was. Um, yeah, it was, she was, it was insatiable, her appetite for drawing. And fortunately, we, we owned our house. Um, and we ended up actually drawing picture frames around her drawings on the wall. And we tried to, um, yeah, embrace it. my third it. child as well, actually. It's funny, isn't it? <laughs> tried to embrace it a little bit we tried to like redirect her you know with different paper and you know we even used to like tape masking tape um you know wallpaper lining lining um up on the wall for her to draw on anyway in the end it got so um prolific that I ended up drawing um photo frames or frames even picture frames um around her artwork on the wall um because not only did I want to move away from the constant sort of energy of redirecting because it really yeah. wasn't working uh, or the battle but I also wanted to to um I wanted to stop having conversations with people who came in our house and were like oh someone's yeah. been drawing on the walls yeah. and because I had put frames around it it suddenly became like oh look at that someone's drawn a nice picture instead of pointing out you know this, funny this isn't it behavior yeah yeah, yeah so, isn't that funny yeah yeah my third, it was my third who was the drawer as well actually uh and he yeah like like you say he just didn't really uh well I mean I guess they're just motivated by by self and by what they want to do and as they should be as they should be um we just gave our kids a wall actually so we did ma we did manage to mostly redirect like we we gave them like literally the whole hallway which was a really big wall um and it was really only one kid that was bothered we just gave them that wall and um actually that did work for us but I think the interesting thing and the thing that's um uh, that, that takes some time to lean into is that none of this stuff's really about the kid and the drawing on the wall, but it's about how we, what, what the work that we do to get okay with it, however that is. Um, I think that's the interesting thing. And that's what you, you know, you, you worked through that. You worked through, you went through whatever process you use to question where your beliefs were coming from about a child who should or shouldn't do something and, how you wanted to engage with that child and, and realising that butting up against them wasn't the answer. And that's the bit that parents find really hard because the assumption then is that we are letting our kids walk all over us and they're doing mm -hmm. what the hell they like. Um, I mean, that's cool. That's what they think. It doesn't really bother me. But there's actually a lot of work that goes on in the background in unpacking our programming and unlearning what we think we know about what is right and not right and then how we're how we can relate with our children around that stuff. So, like you turned something that could have been the source of some conflict, and a situation where many parents would have chosen a consequence or punishment to try to combat it, which doesn't always stop it. And then the conflict continues, and you decided to turn it into a source of joy. And probably you still laugh about it and find a lot of um, love in that in that story. Yeah, and the other thing is like. You know, part of this um, deconstructing our beliefs is really beginning to recognise, you know, that, that, that mostly the problem is ours, that mostly the thing that we are battling against is not actually our child, it's our self and our own beliefs and our own notions about what parenting should look like or what our children should be doing and you know deconstructing that 
so that we can hopefully uh, work towards having a better relationship with our children because the the thing I think that motivates me the most is that not being in conflict with my child is finding ways that we can you know build our relationship together and if that means that I have to let go of some of the ideas about what I think my child should be doing or how they should be behaving um, then I am willing to put that work in to the process so that we can work towards better relationships with our children. Um, so I think I want to ask you about that aspect a little bit because your website is partnership parenting I keep asking you if that's right is that right I don't want to I don't want to give people it is because it you know it is I got it wrong for about a month when we first set up our website I kept calling it okay. the wrong thing so um so yeah. what so, <laughs> so sure that's right. what is the when people say because we use in um so in unschooling which is obviously how um yeah. we choose to educate our children that. the philosophy that we use we use this term partnership a lot um what yes. what does it mean so i mean it means collaboration co-creation it means everyone's equal everyone's got a part to play that is very different to that conventional model of parenting where the parent is at the top and the kids are underneath and the parent says what happens and the kids do it so it's it's not that it's like we're all just in a circle <laughs> a messy chaotic circle <laughs> and um it, it's really built on really strong values it's built on consent it's built on autonomy um it's built on connection and communication and those things are at the forefront and freedom really everyone um everyone gets to be free and through that they learn and we all learn how to relate with other people and it's a very different way of seeing kids because we would see that children are born whole and exactly as they're meant to be and we don't need to pour our knowledge into them for them to be able to do stuff or know stuff or contribute to the world. They, of course, learn things, you know, by the time they're one, they're, they're learning to walk and they're learning to eat different foods and they're, like, they know it, it's built in, right? Like they're yeah, born yeah. with capacity inside them. And uh, it's really just taking that notion further that, you know, we don't need to tell our kids how to be. They know how to be. and to be in relationship with our kids is um, just the greatest joy because no one's uh, trying to assert, assert their authority over anybody else or questioning anybody else's ability or wisdom or knowledge or, or right to have an opinion. And so really that's what partnering with my kids means. And I think a lot of people probably think it looks like a little bit of a free-for-all. And, you know, when they were younger, it was certainly, um, you know, chaotic because, you know, as you say, there was drawing on walls, there was kids walking into the kitchen and tipping buckets of water on the floor. And there was like, you know, I, like <laughs> I used to take lots of photos of funny things, actually. There was this one time that someone, it was probably the youngest, who's Peggy, she's my youngest, she's six. I think she tipped a bucket, a tub of popcorn onto the floor. So the kids just sat down and ate it off the floor. Uh, and I imagine a, another parent might have dealt with that quite differently. Uh, and, and really partnering with our kids just means like nothing's a big deal. Like it's all cool. I love the, I love the example it? you've given of uh, tipping a bucket of water on the floor because just today my six-year-old and my eight-year-old decided that they were going to play um, with their dolls really little ones actually um and they were gonna take them I don't know if they were having a bath or a, or a swimming pool or what yeah. but they got a big tub and filled it with like got jugs of water from the kitchen and they were filling it up 
and I was in the garden we've just got a puppy actually so I was in the garden with the puppy by the time I came back in they'd clearly overfilled this tub it was all over the table it was it was dripping everywhere um and it's just one of those moments where as a parent you could completely freak out you know yeah. and maybe at some point in my past I, I would have done but but now I approach things like that completely differently and it, and it was about saying okay well let's let's just mop up some of this and then let's rethink what we're doing so that we can play with water but without it like literally getting <laughs> everywhere and we got loads of towels out and we moved the bucket on the floor and, and put it on top of the towels and they played for ages this game that they were, were playing um so it's interesting that you use that one although maybe there's a theme in our day because they were um outside today on a trampoline and they went and put their swimming costumes on and got the hose pipe out and were jumping on the trampoline with the hose pipe which um, probably needs a little bit of context because we're recording this in January and it was three degrees outside and like you say I can imagine other parents would be really challenged by um, their children wanting to play that game um, maybe to the point where they actually wouldn't allow their children to play that game because it was really, really cold. Um, but again, we, we just navigate things like that differently now. We, you know, we, I put towels on the radiators and when they came in saying, I'm cold, I'm cold, I'm cold, and they were done, even though they'd had a brilliant time, I wrapped them up in towels that had been on the radiators and, it, and they were like, oh, that's nice. Yeah. And, it, you know, and we just... You know, we now navigate those things completely differently to how um, maybe I would have done in the past or how other parents would um, maybe view them. It's yeah. just um, like mostly we it's just taking no off the table, really, like I find. That's, um, you know, saying yes to as much stuff as you can. And uh, mostly you can. You know, I think you can actually say yes to far more than you might imagine and uh, some of the the rules that are woven really tightly into our lives um, are partly things that have always been there so those those shoulds and partly uh, I think it protects the role of parent like we all know what it means to be a parent doing a particular thing it makes sense we know how to do it uh, we particularly mums I think really define ourselves by the kind of mother that we are and the idea of not having rules actually it, I mean it can be scary but it's also a beautiful opportunity to reinvent what being a mother or being a parent actually means like you can say yes to stuff your kids can do like fun crazy things and uh and we're going to be there to support them through it and enjoy that with them because there's so much joy like it, there's so much fun to be had when we uh just stop worrying about those yeah those shoulds and how things how things must be and you know the possibilities that open up to us when we just say yes to you know as much as we can so I, I feel like we need to acknowledge that uh there are some rules that are out there in the world to protect us uh, that there are maybe some limitations um, on our lives that impact those choices that we um, make. Um, so, for example, um, helping our children to be safe, um, guiding them through um, emotional outbursts that potentially are violent towards themselves or others, uh, navigating um, real life sort of limits of um, maybe finances, um, you know, geographic possibilities, um, I don't know, practicalities of time. Um, so those sort of things really, but there are some rules which um, do present themselves in our lives, but they are not arbitrary rules. They are, mm, you know, they are there, like I say, as sort of they, we are able to explain why they're there, you know, not just because we said so. You know, there is a solid, grounded um, reason. Um, so we're not like this community of lawbreakers, for example. Um, but how do your children 
navigate those real life limitations when they are unaccustomed or no when they are accustomed to the freedom of being able to express themselves how they want and not live under you know a million rules how do they Uh, navigate when they've got that one rule yeah that's a good question because actually one of the things that comes up quite a lot when I talk about living with no rules is well how are they going to know how they're going to be able to like have a job how are they going to be able to know how to get by in a society where there are rules if they're not used to rules but actually I would say that children who grow up in freedom and a really high degree of autonomy and in values uh, as opposed to rules uh, can navigate that stuff very well and without wanting to compare uh I would hazard a guess often better than children who are highly controlled. What I've noticed about children who have a lot of rules at home and who are highly controlled at home um, is that they often don't know how to function without rules, mm-hmm. that they don't need them to know what the right thing to do is. Now, the right thing to do is going to be different for everybody and they're really well able to think those things through. They're really well able to manage their own autonomy and to understand how their life impacts on the life of another person outside of our family and in our family. And those things are ongoing because they're still quite young. Um, but it, it's, it's, it's not ever been an issue for us. I actually can't think of a time where I've, I've, I've had an issue with one of my kids doing something that was outside of uh, any actual rule or law. I mean, certainly they, they do things which other people might think are not normal. So there was a, a long stage of one of my children or two of my children actually not wearing shoes. They didn't like wearing shoes. Um, now, there's no law or rule about wearing shoes anywhere that we've ever been, but some people um, think that's weird and challenge it. Uh, we did go into a shop in another country and got told that my child had to have shoes on to go into the shop. I'm pretty sure it wasn't a law, <laughs> but it was a preference. And we were mm-hmm. like, oh, okay, no worries. And we just took that child out of the shop. Um, and it really wasn't a big deal. And uh, they... Um, I'm just trying to think of what else they might do. Like they question things. They say no to people. Um, if they don't like something that somebody's doing, they'll tell them. They're not rules or laws, but they're certainly norms that are pushed. So, you know, we've got these ideas in our society that children can't question grown-ups. Um, certainly not grown-ups out of our family. My children will potentially question grown-ups if they don't agree with them or they think there's a reason to. They're not worried about expressing their opinion. So they're not rules or laws, but they're certainly things that grown-ups try to enforce, um, even outside of the context of our family. Um, but the, the, the distinction, I think, is that when kids have been raised, really from birth, to own themselves and to know themselves, they actually have that level of self-mastery quite early on. So navigating obstacles, doing things that might be perceived to be risky or dangerous, uh, often not because they've got this inbuilt like risk assessment mechanism and all kids have it, but kids who aren't allowed to test it, um, I would say don't have a finely developed one. Whereas children who are allowed to test it really early on do have it. And I think that same thing applies to rules. Um, What I would say is that many of the rules and laws that we have in our societies are arbitrary and not always there for a good reason and I absolutely welcome my children questioning them (laughs) and we do like we have heaps of conversations about why certain things are um some of them don't make sense and um and so we do talk about that you know like driving on the motorway at 70 miles an hour that's the speed limit that makes sense we can all understand why that's a law um although it's not in all other countries which is interesting so there's another kind of cultural thing as well and uh, like in Germany they've got an open speed limit and people hammer down the motorways, yep. motorways and, and have very few accidents. So, I mean, even, even those things that we, that we will argue as a society, we need these rules to protect us, there are other places in the world that don't necessarily have them and they cope very well without them. So um, I, I, think there's, I always think there's room for questioning more, for sure, um, as, as there is in the house. Like we always joke. I can't think of any rules that we've got at the moment, but every now and again, someone will like do something weird. <laughs> we kind of will jokingly say, oh, should we have that as a rule <laughs> that we don't do that? Um, but I can't think of anything right now. But even those things, oh, like one of my kids jumps on the bed all the time, does my head in 
uh, and we don't have any bed frames. Our mattresses are on the floor, but it's actually when it's when I'm on the bed and I'm doing something mm. and she jumps on it, it really irritates me. So I, I have said, can it just be like a rule that you don't jump on my bed? And, but even, even that gets pushed out <laughs> and it's not very important. And so there's still another opportunity for me to go, well, does that need to be a rule? Is it actually okay if she jumps on the bed? So now it's just like, if I'm in the bed, can you please not jump on it? Because I might be trying to do some work or I might find it just physically really irritating. So that's kind of where we've come to. So even um, it doesn't matter how relaxed we are, we always find that there's like more things that can be questioned. And it's just that it's that openness to question it. I think that is really at the the heart of it, that this openness with our children that we're, we're happy to take on these conversations and that we're open to considering and negotiating absolutely everything uh, and that there's actually nothing in our family that's like hard and fast like I can't, I can't think of anything at all yeah so you know that really comes back to the idea you were talking about earlier which is that we are partners with our children and that means that they have a voice and mm. that they are able to question things they're able to express um you know their opinion on things um and we respect that opinion and we respect that voice and so so when we say oh this is a rule in our house the rule doesn't really supersede the fact that somebody else can then come and question it at another time it doesn't have to be a hard and fast rule forever that's you know that's it you know yeah. someone else can come and say at another point actually that doesn't that doesn't work anymore that doesn't work for me in this situation and there's that always that ongoing flexibility that ongoing um conversation around things um and i was thinking a little bit that when you said about <laughs> rules in in just in terms of in our families and in our society you know they're not necessarily laws they're just that's the way they're norms you know norms in our families or maybe our wider family i'm thinking of really or norms in our communities and society and for us to be able to explain um you know for us to be able to explain you know like right when we go to grandma's house okay grandma's not going to I hope my mum's not listening to this grandma <laughs> you know grandma is not going to appreciate it if you you know do roly-polies on her sofa um so when we're at grandma's house if she asks you not to do that you know we can go and find you somewhere else to do that or maybe just for this weekend we just that's not a thing um you know or or grandma really is going to expect that you come and sit at the table when you eat your dinner and she would probably like you to be wearing clothes um you know and but the thing but the thing is even though that might not be how they do things at home they they're able to take it on board and say okay yeah. grandma's expectations are different grandma's life is different um, I want to be able to go and I want to be able to go and see grandma and they're able to rationalize those things yeah. and say okay well I'm I'm willing to to do that because you know I want to go see grandma for the weekend so that's you know that's that's okay I can do that um, and then and then knowing when they get home that they can roll your pony on the sofa to their heart's content or watch a movie upside down which again is not something my parents understand um does, so does the child go upside down or the screen go upside down the child <laughs> the child yeah definitely um <laughs> yeah but you know that idea that just because at home they have slightly more free reign um you know that when they step outside of that and into a community where there are different expectations um that they are able to question it like you say they're able to question it and that's important um but they're also able to say okay that's not impinging on my human yeah. rights you know that's not you know i am able to do that because i can see the bigger picture is that i be i belong to this community and and i want to be in that place for example yeah. Yeah, I think that, uh, you know, at the end of the day, children um, want to fit into their community because we are like tribal creatures or, or like pack animals like that, you know, and that's how we've survived. And our children are, you know, far closer, arguably, to their instinct than we are, actually. And so it, it makes sense that they want to fit in and that they will um, behave in ways that 
where they're going to be accepted and loved because that's actually what they need to survive. Um, were there any other thoughts you wanted to share with us? Because I'm conscious that we've had our hour, really. Are there oh, any yeah. Other- are there any other thoughts well like I mean I can talk with? about this I know I know days but you know I guess the um I, I what I really want parents to know because this does seem quite crazy to lots of people for sure but notwithstanding the benefits to our children because they get to grow up as amazing people that contribute to the world and they get to share all of their amazing gifts with with confidence and no fear you know that's what that's how they're going to be it's how they are now like what we get as parents is the same. So questioning the rules for our children, you know, allows us to question the rules for ourselves. It allows us to be who we want to be. It allows us to share our gifts with the world confidently and in freedom and without fear and without judgment of ourselves. And so it's it's a dual kind of gift, really. Like it's as much about us as it is about our children. Yeah, so that that whole process again of how our children lead us into this you know parenting paradigm and then but how much that impacts us as individuals the adults in the in the household and how we then um sort of start to question things more and more and how we change and how we then move out and sort of show up in the in our communities and in the world um and having a positive impact um on that you know ourselves yeah absolutely absolutely um you're right I think we could talk about this lots more and um and I and I would like to actually uh maybe another (laughs) point do like a second like a follow-up uh a follow-up episode that would be great um so thank you for uh joining me today we could talk about we could talk about de-schooling or something yeah thank you yeah yeah um yeah, I think I, I get a feeling there's probably lots of things we could talk about. So um, maybe if people put questions in, we could use that to sort of decide like where we go next and what we and what we chat about next. That would be cool. good. Yeah. Um, yeah. And people can join me again next month for the next episode of Unschooling Conversations, which are launched on the 16th of every uh thank you for joining me today i think i said that thanks Heidi. um and yeah we'll do this again soon so. i hope so it was fun thank you so much <laughs> bye